Hello there, this is Lisa Borders, and on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life. We'll talk about overcoming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and moments of illumination. We'll explore what it means to fulfill our potential while maintaining our most authentic selves. And we'll reflect on the lessons we're learning all along the way. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Welcome, everybody. Lisa Borders here, and I have the privilege of being with my new friend, Andrew Seeley. Andrew Seven Seeley. Let's just get it on the record and get it straight. What's good, Andrew? Another beautiful day to be alive, Lisa. Absolutely blessed to have the opportunity to connect today. Such an absolute honor to be here on your podcast. And being that I know your awesome son, Dijon, I'm sure that the apple does not fall too far from the tree. So I'm excited <laughs> to have this conversation today. Well, I'm thrilled as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know right now you, where are you in the world? I know you live in Costa Rica, which I'm a little bit jealous about. We're going to talk about that, but where are you right now? What's happening? Yeah. So I'm currently in Santa Monica, um, here in California. I flew here to film with an incredible app called Headspace. They do meditation apps and really allow people to dive deeper into their meditative practice. And I happen to be piloting a brand new program that incorporates yoga into meditation. And I'm really excited for that to launch within the next few months here. And then I'll be heading over to Mexico and then from there back to Costa Rica, where my home is, where my love is, and where I am building some awesome new projects that I'm excited to talk about more. Oh my God. Okay. You just dropped like three dimes right there. Okay. You <laughs> cannot just roll up like that and do that. So let's back it up, back it up. You are in LA. Let me tell everybody, Andrew is a yogi in every sense of the word. And in a minute, I'm going to ask him to define what is a yogi. I know he is very much into self-care practices and self-healing. And he mentioned yoga and he's talking about meditation. And he just put those two things together and didn't tell us how he did that. So back it up, back it up, back it up. What is a yogi? Andrew, and how the heck did you get into this? A yogi happens to be someone who is a practitioner of the yogic eight limbs. And I would say that a yogi is someone who literally prescribes to the eight limb path that leads to enlightenment. Someone who is deeply dedicated to the self-discovery of complete involution that brings forth evolution. And I really feel that when we do take a yoga class, oftentimes people see the movements, the asana practice or the physical movements of yoga to be the whole practice of yoga. But realistically speaking, and also really getting into the details here, yoga is a full lifestyle. Yoga is how you eat. Yoga is how you treat your neighbor. Yoga is how you're compassionate to those who may be less fortunate. Yoga is a full observation of how we live our lives with a deeper sense of wholeness unification and a deep sense of integration of that which is our environment 
and that which is our self. So bringing together the outside with the inside so that we can have a holistic approach towards living a fulfilling life. Oh my gosh. Okay. When I asked that question, I had no idea you were going to come out with that comprehensive of a definition. And frankly, I've never heard that before in my own ignorance, which means I haven't been properly exposed. And now you are sharing that gift. I have always thought or heard about yoga and thought of it as a class that you go to, to learn how to stretch your body. And you're telling me that is not even the tip of the iceberg, right? It, it actually, it may be just the tip. I am trying to learn yoga at soon to be 64 years old. I have gotten into a health practice, nothing like what you're doing, Andrew, but I'm proud to say I bought a Peloton and I get on it every day. So that's activity. And today I actually had a personal best with my resistance at a high number. It was at 50. My cadence, which is my leg speed on the bike, was like 65 on average. And I was able to do five miles at that space, or excuse me, at that pace and at that resistance, standing up out of the saddle. It has taken me over a year to get there. So I'm super pleased and I've lost a bunch of weight. But when I think about yoga, I'm a little bit intimidated by it. So can you talk to me a little bit? It's taken me a year just to be able to ride this bike. And we learned how to ride a bike as a little kid. Tell me what enables you to do all the things you're, you do acro yoga, you do aloe, you do all kinds. But when you first started, what gave you the impetus to say, I can do these things, not just in my whole life, but just the physical things that we are traditionally accustomed to seeing yoga as? So I just want to first say congratulations to one year on the Peloton. Thank and you. Obviously, this is a huge accomplishment because consistency is key. And I feel that when a lot of people come to a space where they think that working out is easy, the hardest part of working out is consistency. So I must commend you on keeping consistent to yourself. And when you say that I don't do anything exactly like you. What you got to understand is yoga is exactly that. It's consistency. It's staying dedicated to a practice. It's staying truly observant of the changes that happen when you do stay consistent. And for me, that's exactly what yoga has been. A practice of over 11 years. I started when I was 19 years old. Wow. At the time, I could not even touch my knees, let alone get close to touching my toes. I was playing competitive soccer at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I was a left forward and was oftentimes sprinting up and down the field, which wow. means that my hips, my hamstrings, my calf muscles were tight. And when I say tight, I had a reoccurring ankle injury every single year. And I oftentimes was feeling very tight to the point where I had to take salt baths and, you know, Epsom salt baths to be able to even just get on the field again the next day. I oftentimes have people who say, oh, Andrew, like you must have already been flexible. Do you practice gymnastics? Oh my, <laughs> you, know, you for sure have an advantage over me. And I just want to say that that is not true. <laughs> we all have bodies and we all have, yes, a starting point, but my starting point was definitely one of inflexibility. And at the time I could barely even sit down. I would have to wrap my arms around my knees and sit in a position that basically allowed me to put my feet on the floor and my bottom on the floor, but my knees were wrapped in my arms because my 
inner groin was so tight that my legs wouldn't spread open. Stop so, it. Really? I'm not kidding you. I'm not wow. kidding you. So I, I started with a, a Bikram yoga class because I had an ankle injury from soccer and I had a girlfriend of mine who was an avid tennis player, an incredible tennis player. And she was like, Andrew, I think that you should come with me to Bikram yoga. And at the time I had no idea what Bikram yoga was. I had practiced, I think maybe one yoga class with my mom with an elderly, a group of people. And I was like, this is weird. I'm not coming <laughs> back to this. And so when she said yoga, I was like, I, I do enough stretching on the soccer field. You don't have to worry about me. She's look, Andrew, if you keep getting the same injury, you're only going to get worse and the injury will consist. And then essentially you're not going to be in a position where you're really going to be feeling good. You're going to get off of the bench and you're probably going to injure yourself again. And that had been a reoccurring happening for my body. And I realized this. And so when she offered for me to go with her to yoga, she said, look, you come with me to yoga. You don't like it. You never have to come back again. I was like, okay, this makes sense. No worries. I never have to come back again after this. Okay, here we go. (laughs) So I went into this yoga class. I brought my ego with me. And I realized that I was this 19-year-old student in a class with people who've been practicing for years. And I looked at myself in the mirror. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been to? I have. Uh-huh. So you know about that. that <laughs> totally familiar. degrees, 95% humidity, sweating right. the whole entire time. I had no idea. Oh. I came in there. And I was like, oh, just another, like I brought my soccer shorts. I brought a bottle of water. And I get in there and I'm already sweating. I happened to get in there a little bit late. And so they put me all the way in the corner where the heater was. (laughs) The heater is literally just pumping out heat and I'm sweating like immensely. Wow. So I realized that within the first maybe five minutes of class that I was facing not just this class and this heat and the people next to me and the mirror but I was facing myself. I was facing my own challenges. I was facing my own self-doubt. I was facing my own lack of discipline, lack of commitment to my body. And within that first class, I realized that all I had to do was breathe. All I had to do was utilize my breath to take my time and do what I could for that day. That's all I had to do was do what I could, do my best. And essentially in doing my best at the end of the class, the teacher came up to me and he was like, I assume that was your first Bikram yoga class. I was like, yes, that was my first Bikram yoga class. He was like, you did pretty good. And he commended me. I would like to see you come back for 30 days. Oh, wow. So that was the challenge to come back for 30 days. So I came back every single day for 30 days. And then after a 30 day challenge, I ended up signing up for a hundred day challenge. Oh, by yourself. No one prompted you. No, one. actually they did prompt me because this is how it works at Bikram Yoga. After you (laughs) finish the 30 day challenge and they're like, we've got another 30 day challenge or we've got a hundred day challenge. So they had a hundred day challenge and it was a lot less expensive for me as a college student to take the hundred day challenge Mm -hmm. than it was to actually get the membership because the membership was about $150 for a month. Or I could do the 100-day challenge, which was $90. So I was like, oh, let me get the discount then. (laughs) (laughs) So the economics played a part in it. But it sounds like you went in with one perspective. 
you went through that experience of the Bikram class, sweating like a pig, like we do in those mm -hmm. classes, but you came out still standing and even more committed and with a totally evolved perspective. True? Yes, yes. And the evolved perspective is what kept me coming back every day. The opportunity to breathe deeper into my body and to face myself in that mirror and to really breathe in and through the challenge is really what caused deeper awareness of how my mind was connected to my body. And at the time I was studying microbiology and I was really invested in understanding the chemicals that occur in the brain and how the cortisol, the stress is actually nullified by things like serotonin and dopamine that are like the good stressors that help us to actually commit to things and feel happy in our bodies and feel that sense of joy and love. And the more that I came with an optimistic approach towards my practice, not judging myself, not looking at the people around me, instead just keeping my eyes on myself and doing the best that I could do, that is when the actual progression of the yoga practice happened for me. That's when I started to break through the challenges and actually got to touch my toes after 90 days of practice. Oh my goodness. So you could even see real discrete benefit, but it sounds like you had this mental and emotional and psychological moment of enlightenment. I was going to ask you for a moment to tell me about the moment and you just, it started your whole life over almost is what it sounds like, which is absolutely fabulous. So walk me forward a little bit. You talked about being in college and microbiology and sprinting. You were an athlete. You are an athlete. I've watched some of your YouTube videos and watched you doing acro yoga and picking people up with your feet. <laughs> what the hell? Like, how did you learn how to do that? Is that consistency too? It looks like there's more strength than flexibility, but maybe there's equal parts, much like a holistic life should be. Does yes, yes, indeed. When it comes to yoga, that is exactly what it is. They call it stira and sukham, otherwise known as finding that strength and also that balance, finding that deep sense of structure while still being able to flow. So that is the, the balance of yoga. That's what we're looking to find in the ha and the tha. If you ever hear hatha yoga, it's just the sun and the moon. It's finding the balance between the feminine and the masculine. It's finding the balance between the opposing forces of light and dark. So all of that is existent within ourselves. And that is the whole practice of yoga is unifying the two so that you are constantly in balance and you can move from that space of balance. And then when you're in balance with yourself, you realize that your outside world, your environment begins to find balance as well. And that is really what acro yoga was for me is it was the evolution of my own self-practice. So once I had really got into the practice of Bikram yoga, I had my mind blown. I went to the yoga journal conference. I started working for a software company called MindBody. They do all the yoga software for all the yoga studios. And I got really good at, you know, cold calling these different yoga studios and getting them to sign up for the software. And wow. my manager saw this and was like, hey, we'd love to bring you out to this yoga journal conference. You'll have the opportunity to talk to people in real person and have the deep immersive experience of being in the yoga industry. And so I was like, this seems like a great opportunity. Of course, I would love to go. I went, I you know, had the opportunity of talking to different 
people from all walks of life, yoga studio owners from New York, from Texas, from California, all the way from Australia, and also all around the world came to converge at Yoga Journal in San Diego. And my manager just so happened to let me take classes on the last day. So she was like, you should check, definitely check out a few different classes. And I had never been to a vinyasa practice. I had never been to a class other than a Bikram yoga class. And so I'm like, I don't know what class I should go to. I've never been to another class other than a Bikram yoga class. And I really had no perspective that there was all these different types of yogas. And when you're in Bikram yoga, they just tell you, oh yeah, Bikram yoga is the best. Stick with this. All that other kind of yoga, that's not real yoga. Don't worry about that. And so it's, they don't even let you see the competition because all you know is Bikram yoga. And essentially I had the opportunity to go into three incredible classes that were all recommended by my manager. First, she was like, you've got to check out Dharma Mitra and you got to check out David Swenson and you got to check out Sean Korn. And so I went to those three teachers and David Swenson was absolutely incredible. He's an Ashtanga yoga teacher. Ashtanga yoga teacher is one of the most revered practices. It's a very rigorous practice of vinyasa and it has poses that I never even thought were possible. Wow. And I'm watching this guy do them while he's laughing. He's oh, jumping to the crocodile pose and he's jumping around on his hands and his feet. And then he's, oh, you can actually go from your down dog into a jump through and then find your seated fold. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> and he was so fun loving and so genuinely compassionate about me not being able to do most of the poses and also other students in the class not being able to do most of the poses. But he was literally guiding us through with a smile on his face the whole time. And I could see the pure passion that he exuded was literally being felt by the whole classroom. Wow. I really took from that class, like just a deep sense of reverence, a deep sense of love for what you do. And then from that class, I went to Dharma Mitra's class and Dharma Mitra is an 85 year old man who is half Brazilian and half Indian. He's like a smaller build but he was doing headstands with no hands. Stop it. Literally standing on his head with no hands and doing all of these yoga poses, bringing his foot to his head, doing the bow pose, all of these yoga poses that I didn't even think that they were possible by myself, let alone someone of the years of 85 years old. Wait, and he's still using no hands? And he's still using no hands to this day. He does no handed headstands. Wow. Yes. And that class really just brought a whole perspective towards yoga being a practice of longevity. Yoga being something that you could do for your whole entire lifetime. And then I went to Sean Korn's class and her class was a complete and utter different class. It literally brought me to a space in my body and my mind where I was able to let loose a lot of tension, a lot of sorrow, a lot of just complete and utter trauma that was locked up in my physical body. And she's like a yoga activist. So when she was teaching, it wasn't from a space of, let me teach you how to do the pose this way. It was from a space of feel into the pose, breathe in the pose, become so aware of the posture that you can actually release the tension out of those muscles and come to a new space of renewal. And from that class, I realized that yoga was not just 
something that you do with your physical body, but it was also something that could release spiritual trauma, ancestral trauma, and things that were held inside of your psyche that needed to be let go. She teaches a very somatic approach towards yoga that is almost like yoga therapy. And that in itself was a whole entire opening into what I knew was now going to be my new passion, which was yoga. And I know that we touched on acro yoga. So I'm going to just segue into acro yoga because from getting my yoga teacher training certification, which gave me 200 hours of yoga teacher training under my belt, I went on to practice acro yoga because I found it these people being able to stack each other on top of one another and being able to literally feel into one another and find support and structure and stability was one of the most exciting ways to be able to connect. And Mm. acro yoga for me really became a necessity when I was living in Seattle. I was working for a software company in Seattle and I had very little human connection. And I felt almost sitting in front of a desk in front of a computer for eight hours a day. All I wanted to do when I got out of the office was interact with some real human beings. And there was this really cool gathering every single day at this place called Om Dome. And I would go to the Om Dome and play acro yoga with different people from all around Seattle. And it was a community of people who were so eager to learn from each other that they were excited to help each other. They were excited to help you get through these different postures. We fell together. We got back up. We tried it again. And it was that deep sense of learning together that brought me back every single day. That is some sort of incredible. I just looking at acro yoga where it you appear to be lifting someone, but you're really working together. This is a mm-hmm. metaphor for life. You're building a structure with two people or more. I guess you could keep going, but you're interdependent and intertwined. It's like you're linked. And so you got to figure out how to do this together. You think I could send you to Washington and have you help Congress, maybe some acro yoga could could help them. But let me go back to these three classes. So what you learned, first of all, you get there not by happenstance. You're making cold calls. You're working for a company that allows you to engage with yogas with yogis and yoga instructors from all over. You get so good at that. You get invited to a conference. You end up taking classes three on the last day and you learn reverence and passion for yoga in one. You learn about longevity and flexibility in another. And then you have this somatic experience in the third class where the professor or the yogi, the teacher, is telling you to breathe into the pose, allow your body to embrace it and accept it. Maybe we should put that in a bottle and help people <laughs> like navigate their lives with some of that. But this sounds like another moment of enlightenment for you, whether you went in knowing a little bit about yoga and having one perception, taking these three classes and coming out after an immersive experience, completely committed, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Is that how that really happened? Yeah. Yeah. It was so deep. It was a transformative experience. And like you said, it was a moment of enlightenment. It was a moment where the light within me showed me the way. And there wasn't anything in my mind that 
doubted where I was going and why I was going in that direction. Mm. And essentially, I felt from that day forward that my role was not just to be someone who practiced yoga as a self discovery practice, but also someone who was able to share yoga as a means of uplifting our world, as a means of really helping those who I see as loved ones, as friends, as peers, as humankind. And I feel ultimately that we're all here to be of service in our own unique way. And I just happen to find mine. Oh, I so love that. And I also love that you've given us such a broader definition I know I, for one, tried to put yoga in one skinny little place, and you have opened my vantage point, opened the aperture, if you will. That's what they do in photography, so you can see broader perspective. So take me back to the top of our conversation where you were talking about why you're in L.A., that you are working on a project that brings together meditation and yoga. And let me just be the first to admit They have meditation on the Peloton app. I've only used it twice and I've not been able to stick to it. So tell me what the project is. And then you got to tell me how I can stick to meditation and figure out how to make it work for me. Yeah. So the project is with an awesome company called Headspace and they have an incredible app that allows people from all walks of life to start a daily practice of meditation. This is one of the most exciting things that I've jumped into in quite some time because I know from my own practice of yoga that I didn't really start meditating until I was probably about six years into practicing yoga. And it was because I just felt that it wasn't really something for me. I was like, people meditate. I'm really not a meditator. I'm not a doer. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Get done. Who has time to be sitting around thinking (laughs) about nothing? (laughs) We probably need it more than anybody because we're doing all the time. Exactly. And that's really what meditation does help to bring you to a realization of is that we are not meant to just be doing. We are here to also be. And when we understand and understand that deeper capacity for being, then that's when we really begin to see the magic that is our world because it brings forth a deeper sense of presence. And that presence is really what has changed my life for the better is a deeper sense of presence in the moments when maybe your mind is thinking about what comes next, but that what comes next thing may be stressful. And then next thing you find yourself in a reoccurring, oh my goodness, what comes next? Oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm stressed. What comes next? Oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm stressed. And it's like, slow it down. Right. Let's just be present in where we are right now. And right now is a beautiful moment to be present to the breath. And when we come back to the breath, that's when we're able to relieve the stress. And when we relieve the stress, that's when we really do see the beauty and the luster and the opportunity that is in the present moment. Okay, that is just absolutely lovely. When is this going to be ready so I can jump in on this? The NBA was starting a relationship with Headspace while I was at the W as president of the WNBA, but I never really took advantage. Like most things, we have it right at our fingertips and we take it for granted and don't use it. So when is this going to be available? Are you guys just getting started or what are you doing? 
Yeah, so we're just getting started. We just finished a pilot for it, and that enables us to be able to share this awesome platform of Move with the Headspace users. And so this is a new area inside of the actual Headspace app where you can then click onto the Move icon and take yoga classes that end in meditation or begin in meditation and end in yoga. I'm excited because this should be coming out within the next few months. And that means that yeah, millions of users all around the world will have the opportunity to now practice beginner level yoga. And this is what I'm saying is it's very simple yoga. I filmed these classes with all the beginners in mind because I once was a beginner who was completely inflexible and could barely get into these yoga postures as well. (laughs) So this is going to give a lot of people the opportunity to take the time needed to get into these postures and also find meditation. Oh, that is so fabulous. Let me just thank you as a person who is committing now that I'm going to try this. Thank you for the compassion and the empathy of having been a first time participant That's very helpful because we're often intimidated by things we've never done before. And then when it looks complicated, we're like, oh, I can't handle that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I know you're there filming all this stuff, but that's not where you live most of the time. Most of the time you are in Costa Rica and I have been to cities and countries and continents all over the world, but never had the privilege of coming to Costa Rica. So Tell me about Costa Rica. I know it sounds lush and all that, but you live there. How do you experience it? I must tell you that when you have the opportunity, Lisa, you must come to Costa Rica. Is that an invitation? It is. (laughs) Love it. Yes, that is an invitation to Costa Rica because I absolutely love Costa Rica and I've had many of my friends come and visit. I've also told Dijon that he must come and visit because it is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to in my life. And the biodiversity, this place has 5% of the world's biodiversity in a very small frame of land. Really? Like, Yeah, it, it's incredibly biodiverse. We're talking everything's from insects to sloths to macaws to toucans, all types of different animals that you literally just get to see as you're walking through the forest, as you're walking on the beach, they're there. And many different microclimates, all different from cloud forests to tropical rainforest beaches It's absolutely immaculate. The one thing that I must say as well is the whole entire motto of Costa Rica is Pura Vida, pure life. And the people there are so kind, immensely down to earth. And these are people who really will help you when you need help. Like I've had a a time where I had to change a tire and a guy just stopped on the side of the road and helped me change a tire. Wow. Oh, I don't know where else that happens. In Costa Rica, it happens. And I, I also just... I have a real affinity for places that are eco-conscious. And this is a place that outlawed plastic bags like three years ago. Really? Yes. They don't have plastic bags. You go to any restaurant, they're giving you biodegradable where it's like being in Venice, but with way more trees. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. But it sounds like their sensitivity to preserving nature and Mm -hmm. working in cooperation and in collaboration as opposed to conflict 
with nature is sort of what they're going for with this Pura Vida. That makes sense to me. Definitely. And, and the other thing that I wanted to actually bring you to the awareness of is that this place has a ton of reserves. So reserves, meaning that this is actually land that is not going to be, ever be built on. They have taken all of their funding from all of what would be a military. They don't have a military at all, and they've put it into renewable energy. So we're talking, you'll see solar panels everywhere. You'll see these huge windmills and the country itself wishes to be completely CO2 neutral by 2022. And that's that's next year. Exactly. Holy cow. And so we're talking about a country that has a really huge ecological affinity for being the front runner, the leader in ecotourism, while at the same time being fully immersed in taking care of their land. And I feel like for the time that we're living in, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but we're living in the sixth largest extinction in what we know of as as the history of the earth. Sure. And I really feel that we have to be more cognizant as to how we can be instrumental in bringing forth more longevity, more sustainability, and more ecological harmony with the lands that we're living in. Listen, you are doing me a favor and I am learning so much. I kid you not. I thought it was all going to be about yoga, but I'm just learning about all sorts of things. So I love it. I've been living in California since I was seven years old, very long time. And I've witnessed California really change. I've witnessed from being a child and being able to go outside and have all types of wildlife around to nowadays it's very hard to even find an ant. And I'm serious. It's really interesting to witness how quickly it's changed considering that I've only been alive for 31 years. And I feel the things that we're going through are really red flags for how urgent it is for us to take a stand to really appreciating Mother Earth and our land because this is the land that we plant our fruits. This is the land that we harvest our vegetables. This is the land that we look to create longevity for our offspring. And essentially, I know that if I wish to have kids, I want to be in a space that actually harnesses that deep sense of reverence for the land so that we can live sustainably in harmony with all creatures, not just humans. And I I really do think that's the the one thing that is happening with all of the continued uptick of technology is that it is connecting us and it is getting the message across faster. Mm. But I think that the message that we really need to send out there is how important it is to conserve what we have, which is mother nature. You make such a salient point. And I think about the pandemic that we have all endured for over a year now. And it reminds me that mother nature, we, we wouldn't take care of her is what it feels like. And so she just stopped everybody dead in their tracks. So she could take a breath because we are just like blowing and going and looking out for ourselves, meaning we human beings, as opposed to looking at the entire universe of all creatures to your point. And when I think about Costa Rica, it sounds like a place that would fully embrace your yoga practices and self care and self healing. Cause when we start with ourselves, you start 
always you should with yourself and then radiate outward to share your gifts. So is that why you chose Costa Rica to live or how did you choose to go there? I chose to come to Costa Rica. I've been actually coming to Costa Rica now for the past, since 2012. So 2012 was the first time that I came to Costa Rica. And in coming to Costa Rica, I was immediately inspired because not only did I, I say the Pura Vida vibes that you get here are incredible, people living in that pure life sense of just euphoric appreciation for that which is nature. But it really was a place that I knew was progressive, that was thinking ahead of the game, like where we have all of these people who are at arms race, how many more drones can we throw up in the air to make Wi-Fi all over the world? Or how many more missions can we throw over to Mars to be able to have our first Mars rover rolling around there? We're so often reaching outward when we should be looking within. We should be, our, in my opinion, we should really take the time to see how we can conserve this beautiful land that we do have, knowing that Earth is our home. Earth has been our home for all of human existence, as I know. <laughs> and just like yoga, when we tend to look within, that's when we see the true luster and the true splendor of that which is the present moment. And I think this present moment, more now than ever, it's important for us to really find the spaces here on this earth that need to be conserved, that need to be taken care of, that need to be really set as an example as to how we can be true conduits onto this earth, true stewards onto this earth, and be of service to all living creatures. And I feel that really is our role as human beings, is to be of service to all living creatures, because we are the ones with the cognitions to use these tools that has put us leaps and bounds ahead of other living beings. And now we have this opportunity, almost like we have the power of God within our hands to even do things like CRISPR, where we can splice genes to be able to change our offspring. It's, I don't think that we should use our hands for that type of stuff. I think that we right. should use our hands for planting trees and replenishing the soil so that we actually have soil for our children's to have vegetables and nourishment from the earth. But right now, instead, we're spraying all types of Roundup and all types of glyphosate and people's guts are not feeling good. And people are literally passing away from this epidemic of a virus that happens to come from not having a good immune system that is then catching a virus that is then putting down your respiratory system, which is how we breathe. And so all I want to do is bring people back to a space where they can breathe freely. And that is why I am so adamant about living in Costa Rica. So I feel that we're living in the prime time to really come back to our inner shine and to be able to spread this deep sense of reverence to the earth and how we can all be conduits of the earth. And Costa Rica is the space that I wish to share that message from, because it is a pristine place that I really feel passionate about keeping pristine. Because I don't know if there's many other places like that here in the United States, at least not really in California anymore. I feel like everywhere has been a little bit tarnished. Yeah, I am here in Atlanta and it feels like everything has been developed. There's land far out, but then the air is not always clean or the water is not always pure. So as you talk about Costa Rica 
and the environment that's been established there. It was pristine, but it is pristine. And it looks like plans have been made to maintain that and sustain it over time. So it really feels aligned that you and your yoga practices, your self-healing, your self-care helps renew and refresh and regenerate your life and the life of those that you are teaching as a yogi. And the lifestyle that you are leading back to your definition of a way of life is what yoga is and what a yogi helps you lead. Let me just tell you, I'm so inspired to have had this opportunity to spend just a little bit of time with you and learn what brought you on this enlightened path of self-preservation and self-healing and helping others. You have just been fantastic. Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. It has absolutely been a delight to have this conversation with you today. I really feel with people like yourself who are asking these questions of my generation, that we literally can bridge the gap. We can create a deeper sense of connection as to how we can move forward with a deeper sense of sustainability and a deeper sense of knowing that we're all in this together. And I I really do feel that it's almost like this old paradigm convergence with this new paradigm. And that is really what we have to bring together to find how we can progress forward with a deeper sense of unity because it's people from my generation and people from your generation who are going to be the stewards of the next generation who must actually find the solutions to the problems that we've made for them. And I really hope that we can do it because time is ticking. And I don't know if there's many people who realize the urgency of the time that we're living in, but with this urgency uh, does bring forth great connection and great catalysts towards creating change and positive change for a bright future. And that's what I'm hopeful for. And thank you so much for having me on your incredible enlightened show today. It's my pleasure. It's been great. Thank you so much. Promise you'll come back. Yes, indeed. Happily looking forward to telling you more about what I have planned for the future in Costa Rica here. And my goal is really to bring people into this space of enlightenment and to help amplify their shine because We're all here to fully experience that which is the divinity in ourselves. And thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, subscribe wherever you're listening leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week.